You're listening to the Trace Church Rock Rimmon podcast. All right. Hey, good morning, Trace. How we doing? How we doing, guys? How we doing? Man, beautiful day. Beautiful out there. Hey, so glad that you're here with us. Whether you're in this room right now, I want to say thanks to every single one of you. For those of you that are tuning in online, thanks for joining us. Maybe you're listening to this on our podcast later. Thanks for joining the conversation. Hey, I want to put a couple things really quick on your radar, if that's okay. Next week, we're kicking off a new series called Wreck the Roof. And I'm, I'm serious when I say this, man. I have been looking forward to this series for like six months. I think it's going to be one of those series that galvanizes us as a church and prepares us, prepares us for what God wants to do next here at Trace. And so make it a point, make it a priority to be here for the next three weeks. Again, this series, Wreck the Roof. And I think it's going to be a great series that kind of gets us ready for Easter and what God wants to do in and through this place on Easter. Also, I want to put this on your radar next week or this coming week, actually, Our team, it's our staff team, we're going to be getting away on our yearly annual staff retreat where we go and we plan and prepare and we pray for what God wants to do in and through this church in our next ministry season. You may not know this, but our ministry year kicks off every August, and so we take this time to pray, God, what do you want us to do next? And I would would say this, COVID taught us a lot uh, in a lot of different ways. And I think one of the things that COVID has taught us is that we need to do some things differently moving forward. And so when I say pray for us, I sincerely mean that, like pray for us. We're going to be thinking about some strategic moves and potential changes of what this next ministry year is going to look like at Trace. And so, uh, man, if you would partner with us in that way and pray for our team, uh, man, I would just be really appreciative and uh, hopefully you'll do that for me. Well, today we're continuing, we're actually concluding our series called Relationship Goals, and yes, we're going to be talking about the subject of sex. Who's excited? Like, I, yeah, you guys, you guys are horrible. Hey, um, to get us kind of ready, to get us ready for this subject, I want to I wanna play a song for you, and then I want to see if you can fill in the lyrics. You ready? You bunch of carnal people. I tell you what, I can't believe you knew that song. Yes, today we are talking about the subject of sex. And uh, the topic of my message today is actually going to be sexual healing. And historically speaking, maybe you get this, maybe the church context you grew up in, like you would agree here, historically speaking, the church has not done a great job on this subject. It's even likely that if you're probably like 35 years old or older, you probably grew up in a church context where this subject, it wasn't covered at all on a Sunday morning. And that's not good. And that's not healthy. I actually believe that sex and even sexuality is going to be one of the biggest challenges and even obstacles for the church moving forward. So to not talk about this subject is a huge loss for the church. And it's like, historically speaking, it it was by not talking about this subject that led people in the past, again, historically speaking, it led people to think, hey, sex is dirty. Sex is gross. Sex is bad. So save it for your husband, right? (laughs) Listen, sex is a good thing. More importantly, sex is a God thing. And make sure you get this statement right out of the gates. Since God designed sex, he's the only one who gets to define sex. Can I say it again? Since God is the one that designed sex, he's the only one that gets to define sex. And if we get that wrong, if we get that wrong, we will likely fill our lives with unwise decisions, decisions that lead us to tell a story 
that most of us don't want to tell. And this is where it gets real. Most of us know this by experience. I want to set the stage and set the foundation for our conversation this morning with a little bit of transparency. And one of the things that I want you to know right out of the gates is that it's never, everybody say never, it is never too late to invite purity back into your life once again. It is never too late to invite purity back into your life once again. Unfortunately, I made some unhealthy decisions in this area early on in my life, and I could point to a lot of things. I could point to um, poor influences in my life, specifically by males. I could point to the fact that I got caught up in the culture like many of us do and started to do things that I thought I was supposed to do. Sometimes things that I wanted to do, and other times even things that I thought I was, I was supposed to do. People, like I felt pressured into. And so my guess is that many of you, if not most of you, potentially are in that same category. Which is why I want to talk about this from the very front. Like there's a lot of things that I was preparing to say on the back end of this message, and I, and I changed it around. I'm like, no, I need to say these things on the front end of my message because regardless of how your story reads up until today, I want to let you know that you can invite purity into your life once again. The greatest decision that I ever made in my life was asking Jesus to be the leader and Lord of my life. The second best decision that I ever made in my life was asking God to bring purity back into my life. And I got to live out a window of time before I got married where I, where I was learning what it looked like to have intimacy the way that God designed it outside of, outside of marriage without having sex. And it was one of the most, it was one of the most beautiful times of my life, learning what that looked like. And it's so easy, and maybe there's somebody in here already doing it. It's so easy to think, well, man, if I already made a compromise in that area, then why do I need to make, like, why would I change it now? The damage has been done, and I need to let you know that there's nothing further from the truth, that regardless of how your story reads up until today, that you can invite purity back into your life once again. I want, I want you to think of it this way. I want you to think of some things that maybe have the tendency to be contaminated, right? I mean, think about things like, like air or maybe water or even blood. Those things have the tendency or ha have the ability to be contaminated. But is it possible for those things to be clean and pure once again? And the answer is yes. I want to show you something that Jesus says in Matthew's gospel in chapter five. It's the beginning of what we call his sermon on the mount. And he says something incredibly interesting. He said, God blesses those whose hearts are pure. And the Greek word for pure there is katharos. And katharos means to not contaminate. So let me read it a little bit differently. God blesses those hearts who are not contaminated for they will see God. So let me ask you a question this morning. Would anyone like to see God more clearly? Would anyone like to to be able to discern the purposes that God has for you more clearly? Would anyone like to decontaminate some of the crap that has culminated over the years when it comes to the sexual sin in our life? Because I'm here to tell you this morning that it is possible. And that regardless of how your story reads up until today, you can ask God to bring purity back into your life once again. I don't want anyone this morning I don't want anyone this morning sitting in any kind of shame during this sermon. 
I don't want anyone in here dismissing themselves from the possibility that God could bring purity back into your life once again. It is never too late for you. Listen to me. No one is ever too far gone for the grace of God. Can I get an amen? Never too far gone to receive the grace of God. Nobody gets to dismiss themselves from this conversation today. And based on the statistics that I know, I'm probably speaking to the mass majority of people in here when I say, We've made a compromise in this area. 50%, it's said that 50% of all high school students are sexually active before they graduate high school. I imagine that number is actually a lot higher now. And if you carry that out, if you carry that into college and then even post-college, this is an educated guess, but I bet it's upwards of 90% of people have made a compromise sexually before they get married. Upwards of 90% of people, which means, listen to me, It means the mass majority of us in this room have allowed our hearts to be contaminated by playing with something that God clearly wanted contained. You see, God knew and God knows that sex is way too powerful to be messed with outside of the covenant of marriage. Can I say it again? God knew and God knows that sex is way too powerful to be messed with outside of the covenant of marriage. God designed it. And because he designed it, he defines it. And he knows, listen to me, he knows it needed to be contained because sex is not just, it's not just physical. It's not just a physical transaction. It is deeply emotional. And more importantly than that, it is deeply spiritual. In Genesis chapter two, we see God say something about this interaction of sex for the first time. And he says, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. This is, this is the physical act of sex. The man is united to his wife, and the two shall become one. Jesus later re-emphasizes that in Matthew chapter 19. Paul then re-emphasizes it in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and Ephesians Ephesians chapter 5. Why does it keep needing to be re-emphasized? Because when you play with something outside of its original purpose, it can become incredibly dangerous. God knew that sex was way too powerful to be experienced outside of the covenant of marriage, so he put parameters around it. Sex was never meant to be played with. Sex was never about our preferences. And it's an incredible thing, don't get me wrong. It's an incredible thing. It's a very enjoyable thing. But it's meant to be experienced the way that God designed it, and the way that God defined it. And when we, when we go outside of those purposes, it can become really, really dangerous. I want you to think about this. Why do we have STDs? Because we played with something outside of its original purpose. Why is adultery the number one reason for divorce? Because we played with something outside of its original purpose. Why does sexual abuse leave such a deeper wound than even physical abuse. And let me be clear, like I'm not dismissing the wounds that physical abuse can leave on someone, but sexual abuse goes so much deeper. Why? Because we played with something outside of its original purpose. Think about it this way. What is maybe one of the number one reasons that has led us to justify abortion? Because we played with something outside of its original purpose. So what I want to do today is I want to talk about the three doorways to sexuality. And I'm going to be in Paul's letter today, and 
his letter to the Corinth church, specifically in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. If you have your Bibles with you, you can open them up or turn them on, and you can flip your way over to there. And the first doorway that we're going to look at is the doorway of marriage. And here's how Paul begins 1 Corinthians chapter 7. He says this, Now, regarding the questions that you asked in your letter, so in other words, they wrote Paul a letter. Paul planted this church in Corinth, and so they're writing him. He says, Now, regarding the questions that you asked in your letter, he says, Yes. So he's answering something. Yes, it's good to abstain from sexual relations. Now, I think cultural context for us here is incredibly important because in the city of Corinth, there was this temple called the Aphrodite Temple that was put together, that was constructed as a way to worship the sex goddess Aphrodite. And people would have traveled to this Aphrodite Temple from all over the region to explore their wildest sexual desires. It was said that as many as a thousand male and female slaves were like donated to this temple so that people could have their way with them. And so as you can imagine, this was this kind of like hypersexualized the culture around this church in Corinth, and that bled over even into the church. And so Paul sees this as an opportunity to define for the city for the people of Corinth, specifically the church in Corinth, he sees this as an opportunity to define what sex is supposed to be and the parameters and the purposes that God has for it. So he says this, but because there is so much sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman should have her own husband. Paul's clearly defining the parameters of sex here. Verse three, the husband should fulfill his wife's sexual needs. Just so we're clear, Emily, if you're in this room, no problems here. No problems whatsoever. Just You just let me know. Uh, and the wife should fulfill her husband's needs. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Can I get a praise God this morning? Verse 4, the wife gives authority over her body to her husband, and the husband gives authority over his body to his wife. Now, a lot of people are surprised when I read this. A lot of people are like, man, that's in Scripture. And some of you probably read into this. Some of you probably saw something that I definitely saw the first time I read this. This verse could be easily abused. It could be easily abused. And historically in the church, it was. And 9.9999999 out of 10 times, it was abused by men who were holding this scripture over their wives as a way to get their way, as a way to get their physical pleasures fulfilled without even thinking about how it would affect their wife. Now, listen to me. I don't want to say this as a matter of fact, but I don't think this is the case any longer. I don't think this is the primary problem. When we read this passage, I don't think this is the primary problem any longer. I think the primary problem from what we read is there's not a deep enough desire between both spouses to want to please one another. I do a lot of marital counseling. I do a lot of premarital counseling, and I talk about this subject a lot. I have no problems talking about this subject at all. It needs to be talked about. But one of the things that I have observed is there's just not a a desire to want to please your spouse. And so I want to talk to both the fellas and the ladies in this room this morning. But guys, I do want to start with you. Listen, guys, her emotional needs are just as important as your physical needs. Her emotional needs are just as important as your physical needs. Sex for her starts way before the bedroom. Ladies, can I get an amen? Like rubbing her back isn't a way for her to get in the mood. I've learned it's just a way to give her a quick headache. I don't know how that happens so quickly. (laughs) 
If you want to fulfill her sexual needs, it often starts with emotional connection. And if you're not sure what that looks like, let me give you a a groundbreaking piece of advice. Ready? Ask her. Hey, what does it look like for me? What does it look like for me to meet your emotional needs? Use this, use this sermon and this morning as, a, as a, a time to pivot off of. Go back and say, hey, based on what Aaron was saying this morning, like, what would that look like for you? Like, how do you think I could better meet your emotional needs? Ladies, let me talk to you for a second. His physical needs are just as important as your emotional needs. It's not about you just rolling over and satisfying him. Yep, I just said that. I promise you one of the quickest ways to fill your man's love bucket, one of the quickest ways to fill your man with some healthy pride is to pursue him from time to time, to let him know that you're interested in him in that way. Now, I want to talk about something that I've been reading more on here recently that I think is incredibly important, and I want to make sure that we, we kind of hone in on this in this very moment. I think it's important for you to know that when you turn your husband down consistently, when you turn your husband down consistently, it does more harm than you think. Now stay with me because this is not just my opinion. In a recent article on psychology today, they surveyed men on the subject of being rejected by their, by their wives sexually. The article talked about how a lot of women are under the assumption that their husbands can take the rejection because it's just a physical interaction. And so if it's just physical, there's not not any more to it. If it's not emotional or even spiritual, if it's just physical, then it's not going to make that big of a deal. But the the research said something completely different. You see, most men, most men start interpreting rejection, specifically consistent rejection, not as my partner doesn't want sex right now, but instead... My partner doesn't want me. So it's not always this way, but the mass majority of the time, it will be the ladies that are going to be turning down the husband. So ladies, I want you to have a plan. And instead of just dismissing him and saying, hey, no, not tonight. I'm not up for it tonight. Maybe give him a window. Maybe, maybe it's like, hey, not tonight. Listen, maybe you did have a horrible day. I'm not saying you need to say yes every time that he wants it. But maybe you you give him like, hey, I can't, like tonight, babe, I can't do it. What about tomorrow night? Or maybe it's like, hey, Thursday, why don't you get home from work a little bit early? We'll give the kids Benadryl and put them to bed early and (laughs) we'll make it happen. Right? But I promise you that sentiment that you're thinking of him, that you're letting him know, hey, I'm thinking of you. Like, man, I just, I'm not there tonight, but I'm thinking of you. I have a desire to want to please you. And imagine when this is happening on both sides. Imagine how healthy the relationship gets. And so have a plan. Have a plan of how you can not just reject him, but let him know that you're thinking about him and you're planning for you know, a different time. I have to do this with Emily all the time. I'm like, again, babe, I'm only one man. Please, just let... She, anytime I preach a sermon on sex, I have to let her read it. So she's read this entire sermon and she's okayed it. There may be a couple things that I may say that she wasn't ready for, but that's okay. <laughs> let me continue in verse five. Paul says, do not deprive each other of sexual relations unless you both agree to refrain from sexual intimacy for a limited time so that you can give yourselves more completely to prayer. Afterward, you should come together again so that Satan won't be able to tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Yes, we just read that. Let me paraphrase. Have a lot of sex, 
take a break and pray, because that's important too, and then have sex again. I mean, almost like read that passage. That's really what it says. We were joking about this week. It's like, hey, what, you know, the guys knew I was going to be preaching on sex. It's like, hey, what, what worship songs should we, should we sing this week? And somebody suggested the song, Do It Again. It was Tyler. You need to pray for him, okay? It was... But this is a big deal. You know this. We get this. We're going to have some fun, but this is a big deal. When we please one another, it keeps us from being tempted. But let me be clear, guys, you don't get to hold that over your wife. Hey, the reason I was tempted because you weren't giving it up. It's not how this works. I'm going to talk about that a little bit more later. It's not how this works. When we're mutually leaning in each other's direction, and I love using that language because there's posture to it. When you're mutually leaning in each other's direction, your husband, you're leaning in her direction, wanting to meet her emotional needs. Guys leaning, or ladies leaning in your, in your husband's direction, wanting to meet more of his physical needs. When, when there's mutual leaning, listen to me, there's a growing love. Where there's mutual leaning, there is a growing love. And don't, don't miss the fact that Paul is encouraging you to pray. And I would say it this clearly, when it comes to sex, I think you need to pray about it as much as you think about it. This is such a big deal that if you're not inviting prayer into your relationship, specifically on the subject of sex, I would tell you that that's one of your number one action steps today. That you need to come together and that you need to pray about this. Maybe the easiest way to start, because I know, I mean, I'm a preacher and I say this, it's really easy. It's not that easy for everyone in here to do that. Prayer sometimes can be difficult for you. And so one of the easiest ways to maybe start doing this is ask your spouse, hey, what's the number, in, in this context, hey, what's the number one thing that I can pray about? What, like when it comes to what, what you feel like you need in our relationship in this area, what is the number one thing that you would like me to pray about? And then vice versa. Now, before I move on to door number two, I need to say this. I can't possibly cover every scenario, okay? And I'm not going to attempt to. I know that there are unique circumstances in every relationship. There are several possibilities of different things that could negatively, negatively affect your sex life. Intimacy problems. Some guys with erectile dysfunction. Women who experience pain during intercourse. And the list goes on and on. I can't possibly know all of those situations or scenarios. But I would encourage you, because this subject is so important, at least take a step. Take an action step. And so if that means dealing with some wounds of your past and seeking out some counseling, if that means taking some pills uh, to, to help you out, to help you raise the flag, guys, I don't know what metaphor to use. I'm trying to be civil here to some extent, but whatever, whatever it looks like for you, I would just encourage you to make, make an effort to take an action step. This area is way too important not to. And that leads me to doorway number two which is celibacy. We don't talk about this enough in the church. But this is an option. When it comes to our sexual lives, this is an option, and I'll be the first to admit, and I'll be the first to apologize, I don't talk about this option enough. We don't talk about this option enough, but it is an option. I want to show you something that the Apostle Paul says in the same passage, we're in the same passage, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, that surprises a lot of people once they read it. Let me show you what he says. He says, but I wish everyone were single. This is after he's given the encouragement and the parameters of what sex is supposed to look like between a man and a woman in a marriage. He says, but I wish everyone were single just as I am. Yet each person has a special gift from God of one kind or another. So I say to those who aren't married and to the widows, it's better to stay unmarried. 
It's better to stay unmarried, just as I am. But if they can't control themselves, they should go ahead and marry. It's better to marry than to burn with lust. Listen to me, singleness, per the Apostle Paul. Singleness was not only an option, it was Paul's first option. And I watch way too many singles feel like that they're missing out of on life, that they haven't arrived in life because they haven't gotten married yet. And I would tell you that the Bible doesn't reinforce that at all. Now, I'm not saying that you shouldn't still pursue getting married if you want to get married, but don't feel like you're a lesser than person or Christian or citizen if you're not married yet. Paul would say, you're better than those of us that are married. I can't begin to understand exactly why Paul would say that, but he says it. It wasn't just an option, celibacy and singleness. It wasn't just an option. It was Paul's first option. And we have people, listen, we have people uh, that come to this church that identify as LGBTQ and have chosen to live a life of celibacy. And again, I'll be the first to admit, I have not celebrated that enough. And maybe, I guess, if we're going to celebrate celibacy, we would call it a celebration. That was brilliant right there. I don't know. Somebody hashtag, tweet that. No, but honestly, we, we need to celebrate that more often. And some of you, if you're new to here, you're like, whoa, whoa, whoa like, what's your all's position on the whole LGBTQ stuff? I, I can't get into that now. Anytime I, I, I move into a subject of that magnitude, I want to make sure that I cover the whole thing. And so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to send out an email this week. There's a sermon I preached a while back called The Messiness of Sexuality. And if you want to know more about you know, our position on that, uh, then I would encourage you to watch that message. And so we'll throw it in an email. If, you don't, if you're not on our email list, make sure you go to Next Steps today and sign up for that. Uh, but I will tell you that we love, we love our LGBTQ uh, community, but we also believe that God's calling them, if they decide to follow Jesus, he's calling them to fall within the parameters of sexuality the way that he defined it, because he designed it. And because he designed it, he gets to define it. We are going to talk more about this subject in the fall. Go ahead and give you a heads up. I'm going to do a series called Messy Church. And I've got a friend of mine who's gay. And by gay, I mean he's same-sex attracted, but he's also a pastor. And he's chosen a life of celibacy. And he's going to come and he's going to spend some time with us. And i got a friend who wrote a book called Messy Grace. I would encourage you to pick up that book. And uh, he grew up with a mom. His mom and dad got a divorce. His mom became a lesbian. His dad became a gay man. And he will talk about how... He continued to embrace them, but he later became a pastor. He said he hated Christians early on and then later became a pastor himself and how he held on to truth but continued to extend grace. And that gets messy. It gets messy. And so it's a subject, like if we're going to spend some time on it, we're going to dig deeply on the subject. So I just want to give you a heads up on that. I can't spend any more time on that one. So we're going to go to doorway number three, which is sexual sin. a door that the majority of us have likely chosen in some way. Any sexual activity outside of marriage is sexual sin. And it's also a sin that is distinguished from all other sins. It doesn't mean it's not as easily forgiven. You're forgiven for all your sins through the blood of Jesus when you invite him to be the leader and Lord of your life. But Paul sets this particular sin aside because of the consequences. Let me show you what he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. He said, run, and I put the Greek word there, which is fugo, which also means to flee or to escape. 
So keep that in context as we read this. Escape, run, flee from sexual sin. No other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself, for God bought you through Jesus, sending Jesus to die in your place. For God bought you with a high price, so you must honor God with your body. There's a reason why I began the way that I began. There's a reason why I wanted to build the foundation through my own transparency and through a hope that no one in here would sit in shame, but also not dismiss this. That you wouldn't dismiss this where it's like, oh, that's old-fashioned. Like, you still buy into all of that, Aaron? That's, I buy into the Word of God. I believe God's given us clear parameters and a clear purpose of what sex is was supposed to be in the containment where it was supposed to be held. And I want to show you something. There was a researcher by the name of Jay Teachman who surveyed 6,500 women between 1970 and 1995. And he, he set out to survey these women to see if there was a way to predict what led people to get a divorce. And the answer was yes. Through his research, Teachman found that your chances of getting a divorce are directly related to the amount of sexual partners that you had before marriage. I don't like sharing that kind of information. But I wouldn't be a responsible pastor if I didn't. Guys, there are consequences. Listen to me. There are consequences when we think of, there are consequences when we play with fire. Think about it in this way. In the right context, fire, <laughs> fire warms our houses, fire cooks our food, fire helps us to shape metal and build beautiful structures. But if I were to start a fire, like right here, would you feel safe? If I were right now, if I were to start a fire right here, would you feel safe? No, because there would be no way for me to contain it. Guys, listen, our sexual passions are not bad. But without God's parameters, without living in God's purposes, it can become dangerous. Sexual passion without God's parameters can lead us to a story that we don't want to tell. But our sexual passions, listen to me, our sexual passions are not bad. Our sexual passions are not bad, but... They need to make sure they stay within the purposes of God. And maybe one of the areas where we start to flirt with this, outside of the parameters that God has put in front of us, outside of the purposes that God has clearly designed for us when it comes to sex, maybe one of the areas that we allow our passions to lead us astray is in the area of pornography. I remember the first time I was exposed to pornography. And yes, you heard me right. You're like, whoa, did I hear? Did he, did I, did I hear what he just said? Yes, we have real conversations around here. Everybody okay? The first time I was exposed to pornography, I was like seven or eight years old. And it was very accidental. I was playing with a friend out in a field and we came up on a trash bag. Somebody had either stashed, you know, had their stash there or got rid of it, maybe, you know, trying to hide it from their parents. And a friend of mine and I, we came up on it in a field by my house. I grew up in Kentucky, and so it's pretty common to have fields by your house. And 
And so we came up on this bag and we found these magazines. And listen to me, I can still, ref- I can still remember the, the rush of emotions of this, this kind of a, this excitement, this feeling of thrill quickly followed by a deep sense of shame, which is exactly what pornography typically does to us. Parents, can I make an appeal to you really quick? They say that the average age of kids looking at pornography now is the age of 10. And so if you haven't like set up, if you don't have a clear plan to talk to your kids about this, can I, can I appeal to you to put this plan in place? Um, my wife and I have decided that we're uh, going to be intentional about this, specifically at the age of 10, that we will take our kids on a trip when they turn 10 years old. And my wife did that with our oldest daughter. I recently did this with our son. And once they turn 10, we take them on a trip and go have a lot of fun with them. But we have a conversation about sex and we have a conversation about pornography because if we don't teach them, somebody will. And I would say that you're, you're on the edge of taking a big risk that if you're not talking to them at the age of 10, somebody else will. We're not winning this battle when it comes to even the church. Let me share some stats with you. 64% of Christian men and 15% of Christian women look at porn monthly. Men obviously are genuinely more vulnerable to this area, but it's growing with women. And if you were to narrow those ages of men to the ages of 18 to 30, 79% 79% of men look at porn monthly. What does that mean? It means that we need a plan. I would call it a battle plan. Heck, let's get really specific. You need a porn battle plan. Because listen to me, you cannot fight a battle that you're not prepared for. You cannot fight a battle that you're not pre- prepared for. Our enemy Our enemy has come, Jesus says this, our enemy has come to kill, steal, and destroy. And one of the things that he wants to destroy is your purity. You better believe that your purity is in his target. You better believe that he's coming after your purity. And one of the easiest ways that he can come after your purity is to entice you with pornography. You don't even have to go looking for it anymore. It'll be put right in front of you, accidentally. And so if you don't have a plan, if you don't have a porn battle plan, I promise you, and you know this, so many of us probably have already experienced this at some point in our life where we were enticed into clicking on something, looking at something a little longer than we should have, or maybe watching a series on Netflix because, man, even our Christian friends are telling us that that that's a good show. So maybe we should watch that show and what you're watching, once you kind of get into it, you know you're watching soft porn. And we've allowed our lives to make this compromise, and our enemy is coming after our purity. But I want to remind you, it is never, everybody say never, it is never too late to invite excuse me, purity back into your life once again, but you would be foolish to not have a plan when it comes to this area. Listen, no one sits out. No one sits out to hide in the bathroom. Nobody sits out for it. No one sits out to hide in the bathroom so they can look at some images without being caught. That's not where it starts. It usually starts with, well, I mean, I'm married and I'm not going to cheat on my wife. So, I mean, isn't this an an easier compromise? I mean, come on, Aaron, she's not giving it up in the bedroom, but I'm not going to go cheat on her. So don't I deserve a little something? Hey, I'm single and I'm, I'm going to work really hard and I'm, I'm trying not to have sex before marriage. And so because I've made that commitment, I'm, I'm just going to allow a little bit of this into my life, kind of take care of myself, if you know what I mean. And so, so, I mean, isn't that a, 
Isn't that a healthy compromise? You see, we never start out, it never starts out with this idea that it can become a big problem. We don't ever set out, like I already mentioned, we don't ever set out locking ourselves in the bathroom so that we can look at some images without being caught. No one sets out to bring shame on themselves and their family. No one plans to get addicted, but listen to me, there are good people who sincerely love God who do this all the time. And what started as a little secret has now filled your life with shame. And listen to me, Trace. That shame and that secrecy will become poison for your soul. But it's never too late. It's never too late to invite purity back into your life once again. And so if there's anybody in here, it's like, well, what change? What difference is it going to make now? Like, I've allowed my mind to be consumed with images that probably shouldn't have been there. I mean, I'll be the first to admit. I'm not even going to justify. I'll be the first to admit that, that I've done that and, and I've allowed those images and I've looked at things that I shouldn't have looked at. And like, what is it going to change now if I try to, to make changes now? Listen to me. Think if we use, use any other sin to, to justify that way. Any time that you stop and that you pivot and you turn, right? I mean, even the idea of repentance means in the Bible to turn and go the different direction and you stiff arm. It's like I'm pushing that away from my life because I want to pursue Jesus. And he starts to fill you with not just purity once again, but he starts to remove some of that shame and that secrecy that's probably caused you to be dishonest in other areas. He starts to remove that and uproot that from your life. It's always, everybody say always, it's always to your benefit to move in the direction of Jesus, regardless of how your story reads up until today, regardless of how many mistakes you've made up until this moment, regardless of what's in your closet. It's never too late. It's never too late to invite purity back into your life once again, but you need a battle plan. Maybe the best place to begin would be to think through what triggers you what triggers you? Maybe when you drink a little bit? Is that a trigger for you? Do you have a tendency to maybe start scrolling and flipping through things that you shouldn't after you've had a couple drinks? Maybe for you, it's when you're traveling on business. Maybe for you, it's when you play video games and everyone else is asleep. Maybe you're scrolling on social media. Maybe you travel and when you get into your room, you start flipping through stations. What are the potential triggers? Ladies, maybe for you, it's reading that romance novel about a guy who doesn't exist anywhere. Let's just be clear. Or 15 ways to drive him wild in bed in that one magazine, and that kind of just gets the juices flowing in your mind and maybe creates a little bit more curiosity to start seeing what else is out there. Or maybe it's when that guy at work starts to understand you a little bit more emotionally than your husband does. Let me make this next statement crystal clear. We have to be honest we have to be honest where we know we might be vulnerable and be wise enough to stay away. Can I say it again? We have to be honest with where we know we might be vulnerable and wise enough to stay away. Do you know that Billy Graham, when he was going around on his crusades before he got to his hotel room, he would call them and say, would you please remove the TV? And some people may look at that and say, man, I never, I never knew Billy Graham was that weak. <laughs> I would look at that and say, I'm so thankful he was that wise. The wisest people prepare for their potential weakest moment.
If you want a porn battle plan, you've got to prepare for your weakest moment. Craig Rochelle said, why battle a temptation in the future when you have the power to eliminate it today? Out of all the things that I've said today, if anybody in here is feeling this notion where it's like, oh man, I feel like if I, if I fully followed through on that, maybe it kind of feels like I'd be giving something up in whatever context you could be potentially thinking that way. So let me close with this statement. Giving something up now for the sake of something better later, it's not a sacrifice. It's an investment. I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to have a very intentional time in our response time this morning, and I'm going to set that up, but let me pray for us. Father, I pray that in this moment, through the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would begin to prompt people And if anybody is sitting in shame, God, that you would quickly remind them of the grace that you freely give. You never use shame. You never used guilt to get people to move in your direction. You do convict us. And by convicting us, God, you do prompt us through your Holy Spirit and show us, hey, something's off here. Something's off. And the only reason you want to show us something off is because you have something better. You want us to feel something so that we'll move in your direction. Because every time we move in your direction, you're able to fill us with the things of God. That you can bring purity back into our life. That you can remove some of the stains and blemishes that have contaminated our hearts over the years. Yes, there's still consequences to our sins. I think we all get that. But God, we want to invite you into this moment to move us in the direction of purity. God, I also pray that you would make every married couple in here, that you would make their sex life amazing. And God, whatever action step that they they need to take in this moment to help move them in that direction, that you would show them clearly, both of them, show them clearly what step that needs to look like and that men would start to move in their wives' directions, that they would lean in their wives' directions in wanting to, to fulfill them more emotionally and that wives would move in their husbands' direction with a desire to want to please them physically. And so God, I believe that if we will just pursue you in this way, invite you into the midst of this conversation, that you can do something amazing. And so we want to do that right now. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're new here to Trace, every week we have what we call a response time where we give you what we call thin space. Like we want this to be a space and a time that feels a little bit thinner between you and your Heavenly Father. And the number one way we do that is by experiencing something called the Lord's Supper. We call it communion, and we take a little wafer that has some juice in it as well. It's a little cup. Both of them are in the cup, but the wafer represents the body of Jesus, and the juice represents his blood, and we remember. Man, don't miss it. We remember that through the sacrifice of Jesus, that life change is always possible, that through the sacrifice of Jesus, that transformation is always possible. And so around the room, you'll see four crosses, And by those crosses are some tables that have those little cups on them. And so I'm going to encourage you to go there. And then I I want you to come back. And we intentionally want to give you some time. And I just want you to pray. I want you to pray, God, what does this look like for me? Whatever it is, maybe there's one thing or a couple things that stuck out to you that you know. It's like, I need to spend some more time on that. I need to come up with a porn battle plan. 
I need to stop rejecting my husband and have a plan. I need to start filling my wife's emotional needs. And man, I think all of us have an action step to take today. And so I want to give you some time to figure out what that looks like. Maybe you need to grab the hand of your wife and just pray together in this moment. Maybe some of you want to get something off your chest. And I was very intentional about being transparent on the front end of this. Because this is a place where you can stop pretending. And if I'm going to tell you that this is a place where you can stop pretending, then this better be a place where I can stop pretending. Amen? And so if you need to get something, if you need to get something off your chest today, we got a couple tables in the back with little lights on them where you can go and fill out a prayer request. And nobody needs to be like, man, if I go back to the table and then somebody's going to know that I maybe have that sentiment. Listen, your pastor began this sermon with some transparency so that you can feel free to go expose whatever you need to expose. Again, I said this last week, James says, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. Get that crap out of you so that God's healing can start to get inside of you. So I want to pray again. And however you feel led to respond, again, if you want to go back there, we'll also have a couple people back there. If you want somebody to pray with you, we'll pray with you. But if you just want to write some stuff down, we'll give you the opportunity to do that. But everybody's got a step to take. Let me pray one pray and then we'll respond. Father, meet us in this moment. Help us to fill that thin space between us and you. Help us to be overwhelmed by your love and grace. Let it fill every gap of shame that's been inside of us. Father, help us to have a deep desire and passion to want to pursue you, to do it your way. It's easy to follow our own passions and desires, but God, when we stay within the parameters that you've set for our life in all areas, God, we start to live out greater purpose. That's what I want for everybody in here. So God, I pray that you would do what only you can do right now. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Feel free to respond.